Today we're beginning a new series, Sign of the Times. Uh, today I'm going to talk about life in the last days. And uh, the study of end times is called eschatology. And those of us with a biblical worldview know that all of history is headed somewhere. We're not just in some kind of endless loop that just starts over and over again. We're not reincarnated into a better version of ourselves. We're not evolving into some kind of superior being or anything like that. Nope. Everything is heading to one event, and that is the return of Jesus Christ. There's coming a day when divine judgment, where evil is going to be dealt with once and for all, and God is going to set everything right. He's going to bring an end to sin, to sorrow, to suffering. Uh, death will be eradicated. Evil will be abolished. Pain will be finished, and the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire. Amen? Amen. And for Christians, we will see... Jesus face to face. We will worship God in all his holiness. We'll receive the rewards for the works that we've done here on earth. We'll get to experience a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Everything is going to be brand new. Eschatology is, is an important doctrine in the church, but let me just say it's not as clear cut as many of the other doctrines in the church. In other words, uh, it's okay that we may have some points where we disagree on certain things. We can still be brothers and sisters in Christ and not necessarily agree on every single uh, minutia of the end times. Interpreting uh, these uh, eschatological passages can be challenging. There's a lot of symbolism, a lot of name changes. There's geological references, and, and, and the countries have changed names over the years, and it can be a bit challenging to interpret. But... Uh, I think we need to study eschatology so we have some sense of what's going to happen in the future so that we can be prepared, so that we're ready, so that we're able to endure for whatever it is we may need to endure. And uh, will I get it 100% right? Probably not. I highly doubt it. Uh, but hopefully we will have a framework, a grid, uh, a worldview through which to make sense of what is happening around us. Um, but I just want to say, you know, be willing to give yourself some grace. Be willing to give others grace uh, on this topic. Uh, you're going to see things one way. Maybe somebody's going to see something a little another, and I'll see things a little different than that. And, and it's okay. Even in the first century when they had Jesus teaching, they still misunderstood and weren't sure exactly what was going on. And they had Jesus right there with them, right? So we just need to have grace with each other. Uh, when it comes to the return of Christ, I'll just say this. I wasn't put on the planning committee. I'm on the welcoming committee, right? So I don't know for sure when he's coming, but we're going to be ready when he returns. Amen? That's the goal. <clears throat> so uh, since this series is going to be three weeks long, uh, and it's a relatively short series, this was planned over a year ago, this series. It had nothing to do with what's going on in the current world right now. This was just the series we had planned at the beginning of the year. Um, uh, we're going to just study what Jesus had to say uh, about uh, the last days. I know that John had a revelation and wrote the entire book of Revelation about Christ's return. I know the Old Testament prophet Daniel uh, had a lot of prophetic dreams and visions that played a key role in understanding the end times. I get that. Peter talked about it. Paul talked about it in First and Second Thessalonians. In fact, you see this topic discussed all throughout the Old and New Testament. Uh, but the framework for all these passages uh, begins with what Jesus himself taught about the end times. And so we're going to be studying Matthew chapter 24. 
Now, in this passage, Jesus isn't going to tell us everything we need to know about the end times, but he does establish kind of the grid for, through which we can kind of look and see uh, what's going on in the end times. So to set the stage, let me remind you that in Matthew 23, uh, this is the last week of Jesus's life before the crucifixion. And uh, he's kind of giving his disciples a crash course uh, on what's going on. He's teaching them all kinds of things. And uh, in Matthew 23, we see him teaching uh, in the temple and he's confronting the Pharisees and telling them that their works and religious behaviors are a dead end street. They need to quit trying to earn their way to heaven. He threw the money changers out of the temple. He was saying, woe to this and woe to that and woe to this. And he was, he was basically saying, stop putting rules on everyone. You guys have missed it. He, he calls out the hypocrisy of the, uh, you know, of the Pharisees. Uh, and then he walks away from the temple after all of these woes. And that's where chapter 24 begins. So chapter 24, verse 1 says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting in the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and God, we truly desire to know your will. and We want to understand your word, so God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding, that you, you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to the truth. Uh, God, I pray that you would just speak through me the words you'd have spoken here this morning, and uh, Lord, may everything that's done and said bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, <clears throat> Jesus and his disciples are walking away from the temple and uh, they're, they're just saying, man, look at this. Look, just look at the temple, Jesus. This place is amazing. It's awesome. Look how big it is, how beautiful these buildings are. And uh, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Boom. That was not the answer they were expecting to hear. They were expecting him to say, yeah, it really is a majestic temple. It really is spectacular. Instead, he says, everything you see here is going to come crashing down. It's all going to be destroyed. It's all going to be leveled. And the disciples were shocked. They were like, how can this be? I mean, these buildings are magnificent. How can they be destroyed? And so they asked Jesus uh, for clarification. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age. And really, that's the question of the hour. This question has been asked by millions of people over the years, over the 2,000 years. I get asked this question on a regular basis. Do you think Jesus is coming back in our lifetime? Uh, is the war in Israel going to trigger Armageddon? What, what is the sign of the Lord's return? And so here in this passage, Jesus sits down with his disciples in an area located between the Temple Mount and Bethany called the Mount of Olives, and he begins to teach them privately about the sign of his return. That's why this passage is often referred to as the Olivet Discourse. So the disciples asked him, when will this happen? Or, or when is this temple going to be destroyed? And what, what is the sign of the coming of the age? Again, this is a private conversation between Jesus and his disciples, and they wanted clarification. When's the temple going to be destroyed? What's going to be the sign of your coming? And, and, and when is the end of time or the end of the age? When's that going to be? 
You see, because in the disciples' mind, they thought all three of these things were going to happen together, that these were all going to happen simultaneously, that the temple uh, in Jerusalem, you know, would, you know, if that was coming down, that was going to be the end of the world. And really, the temple was the pride of Israel. The, the, the temple and the, and, the, and the courts around it were, were magnificent. They were beautiful. Uh, they covered an area of 35 acres. For a point of reference, the Pentagon is 34 acres. So we're talking a massive, massive structure. It was the center of the Jewish faith. And so for the Jews, their, their faith was, was temple-centered. In their minds, if the temple was destroyed, I mean, that's gonna mean the end of the world, right? So Jesus spent three years trying to get them to understand that their faith needed to be Jesus-centered, not temple-centered, not work-centered, not religion-centered, and really, that's a good reminder for us today that, that, that our faith needs to be Jesus-centered, not performance-based. So his disciples wanted to know what was the sign of his second coming? What was that gonna be? And so Jesus taught his disciples that he would indeed come back a second time. In, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, uh, Jesus, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to to what they have done. Now, we don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we do know it's going to take many people by surprise. For many people, it's going to be an unexpected event. And that's what Jesus warned. He said in Luke chapter 12, verse 40, it says, you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Life is gonna be going on. Everything is going to be happening as the way it has for years and years and decades and decades and centuries and centuries to the point where people have said, that's probably never going to happen. I don't expect Jesus to come back in my life and bam, Christ will return. Jesus repeatedly told his followers that he is coming back and it's important that we are all ready for Christ's return. The word coming in Greek is parousia, and it refers to the second coming of Christ. And this teaching has been a central part of the Christian faith for over 2,000 years now. Jesus is going to return to this earth visibly and personally, and he will set up his kingdom and initiate the final judgment. He's gonna raise the dead, and the world is going to realize that Jesus really is the king, and he's gonna set up his kingdom. Now, the disciples wanted to know, according to verse three, what, what's the sign of your coming? Now, notice it doesn't say, what are these signs of your coming? It says, what is the sign of your coming? And uh, I believe there's only one sign of Christ's return, and we're gonna discuss that later in this series. But today, I want to spend some time examining their third question, uh, which is about the end of the age. You know, when is the completion of this time, this age, this era? When does this age end and the new age of Christ's rule and reign begin? Now, I think in the last number of years, we've spent so much time and too much time just simply focusing on the rapture of the church without focusing on the bigger issue, which is the end of this present age, the, the final culmination of a cursed and fallen world and the beginning of the glorious reign of Christ. In the final days of, before Christ's return, there are going to be some realities 
not necessarily signs, but realities that we're going to have to deal with or the generation that's alive at that time are going to have to deal with uh, prior to or at the time of his uh, parousia. Many of these realities, quite frankly, have already been going on since the first century and still many people face them today. And I believe that as we get closer and closer to Christ's returns, these realities are going to intensify and likely will expand in scope. These realities are early indicators of Christ's soon return. Jesus referred to them as birth pains. Every parent here is aware of the initial contractions that indicate that, uh-oh, something is happening, right? The intensifying birth pains... Uh, make it clear that uh, something's happening and we begin to long for delivery, right? Which is, of course, the moment when Christ returns. So in this little three-week series, I'm not gonna be able to give you a a specific point in time when Christ is gonna return because nobody can. But what I can do is to encourage you to be ready, to always be ready so that you can be prepared for that moment whenever it happens. And I'll just tell you, nobody knows when the Lord is going to return. The only one who does is God the Father. Now, if you grew up like I did in the church during the 70s, the 80s, and 90s, you probably remember the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 88. Remember that? Or you watched the movies, A Thief in the Night or A Distant Thunder. I'll tell you what, those movies scared me to death. Anybody else see those movies? All right, count yourself blessed if you missed that. Um, And then, of course, in the 2000s, we had the Left Behind series, right? How many of you read the Left Behind books and saw those movies? Okay. Can I say this as carefully as possible? Do not get your theology or your eschatology from fictional books or movies. Get your theology and eschatology from the Bible, amen? Amen. Be careful about speaking in broad generalities. I find that when we're talking about the last days, it's best to just use the terms the Bible uses instead of of putting our own terms in there. For example, if you're talking about the seven-year period of intensifying troubles, use the Bible term, which is 70th week of Daniel, instead of saying the seven-year tribulation. Because the Bible never says there's a seven-year tribulation. It says that in the 70th week of Daniel, there is a great tribulation. But we need to be careful that we don't, we don't just begin to mix and mash those all together. So let's use Bible terms so that we don't get confused when we're talking about the events of the last times. So the disciples had asked Jesus, when are these things going to happen? And now we see Jesus' response. We'll pick it up in verse 4. <clears throat> Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. I could park there for a little bit because I think there's a lot of people trying to deceive people about what's happening last time, but we're gonna move on. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations 
because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So let me show, there's a lot of information there, right? <clears throat> so let me share with you just some general observations from this passage about what's gonna be happening in the days leading up to uh, the Lord's return. First, false prophets are going to arise. These are people who are going to try to convince others that they are Christ, they are the Messiah. They, they, they promise to make the world a better place. They're religious leaders who claim to be God's representatives. They may be political leaders who promise to make the world a great place, a better place. They promise peace, but deliver division. Now, just in our lifetime, we've seen people like this. We know of Jim Jones and David Koresh and the Heaven's Gate cult and, and so many more people like this. In the last days, there's gonna be more and more false teachers who are going to enter the scene. So we're gonna see that. Then it says there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars. Now, at the time Jesus was speaking to his disciples, they were enjoying uh, Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. But within a century, wars would once again be spreading throughout the land. And that is still true to this day. According to the latest reports, there are 32 ongoing conflicts in the world right now, raging from nation to nation, wars, drug wars, terrorist insurgency, ethnic conflicts, civil wars. We're all aware of the war between Ukraine and Russia right now. Over 120,000 people have died so far. 180,000 people have been wounded in this conflict. All eyes right now are on the war between Israel and Hamas. Already over 10,000 people have been killed and all eyes are on the Middle East to see if the war stays limited between these two or if it expands into a regional war or worse yet, a global war. Jesus told his disciples that before the end of the age and, and his return, that there was going to be an uptick in wars. There's gonna be wars and rumors of wars. And then he went on and said there will be famine and earthquakes, food disruptions, food insecurity, Regional famines happening all over the world. I, I mentioned to you moments ago that you know e even in our current situation, we're seeing food banks that right now are, are really having difficulty getting food. So it's, it's an interesting time we're living in. Um, <clears throat> you know, we we give a lot of food away every Wednesday, but it is just a fraction of the need in our own community, and we are nowhere like so many other places in the world. As of today, forty-five million people in thirty-seven countries are at the risk of starvation, literally dying from hunger today. On Wednesday of this week, there were 1,144 earthquakes of up to 7.1 magnitude happening in the world on Wednesday. And since then, in the last 48 hours, there have been 3,200 earthquakes in Iceland alone. Um, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. <laughs> uh, 
It's crazy. Uh, we need to pray for Iceland. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen there. Maybe we have a volcano erupting. But um, in the last days, there's going to be uh, earthquakes and, and uh, famines. Um, if we're not living in the period of the birth pains, then we are living in the Braxton Hicks era. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Jesus used that terminology of birth pain several places, and it sure feels like we're there. Our foundations are shaky. These disturbances in the natural realm are screaming to us that the curse is here, and creation is feeling the effects. And Jesus said, all these are just the beginning birth pains. Creation is suffering from the effect of sin, and even even the world is longing for Christ's return. You get, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, he said, For the creation, the world, waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, where have we heard that before, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. The world, nature, is looking forward to Christ's return when he will finally deal with all of these things. But until then, we live in a fallen world. <clears throat> the fourth thing Jesus warned his disciples about was in verse 9. He said there's going to be hatred and tribulation and martyrdom. Verse 9, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Hated by all nations. It was hard maybe even a month ago to visualize what this may look like. It's not hard to, look, it's not hard to visualize anymore, is it? What we see happening with the protests around the world calling for the elimination of Israel uh, is shocking uh, and, and, and just quite frankly hard to believe that we're actually seeing this in our lifetime. But can I say that what we see happening today to the Jews in the last days will happen to those who are followers of Christ? Not because we are bad people, but because we have chosen to follow Christ. When we have the choice between, am I, gonna, am, am I going to be a follower of Jesus Christ and stand up for Jesus or not? When you stand up for Jesus you will, and you identify with him, it will put a target on your back. Because darkness hates the light. And we are the light of the earth. We will be persecuted, we will be attacked, we will face tribulation. People have been facing tribulation since the time of Christ, and it's still happening today. Tribulation is going to increase until that day that is known as the Great Tribulation occurs, and I'm going to talk about that next week. But can I tell you that people around the world this very day are already experiencing tribulation and abuse and martyrdom in the name of Christ? 
According to Christianity Today, and I quote, every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Every day, 12 churches or Christian facilities are attacked. Every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and another five are abducted. <clears throat> this is every single day. And this will only intensify in the days prior to Christ's return. This hatred will just continue to grow in scope. Now, right now, most of this is happening outside of the United States, but the day is coming when that persecution will become global. Now, before you have a heart attack or jump off a building, let me give you some hope. Jesus gave us a word of encouragement. He said this in John 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, or in some translations, tribulation. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. In other words, don't freak out. Don't get scared. I have overcome the world. Our comfort is found in Christ. Not the elimination of stressors or pain or tribulation, but rather knowing the fact that I am in Christ's hand, that he is watching over me, and that he won't let anything happen to me but what he permits it. Though the world may fall apart around me, we can rest in the fact that we know who holds our future, amen? We know that God's love will carry us through whatever trouble may come our way. Paul put it beautifully in his letter to the Romans in chapter eight, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, that's that same word, tribulation, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, or sword, being murdered, killed. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord." No matter what happens in this world, God loves you and nothing can separate you from the love of God. Amen? So many people worry that difficult times may come as we draw closer to Christ's returns. Christ's return. And friends, it will happen. Trouble, tribulation, persecution, and even martyrdom will face those alive at the time of the second coming. But we can draw comfort from the fact that God is going to be with us every step of the way and he'll not give us more than we can handle. And I can remember, and I just wanna remind you that people have been facing these kind of painful situations, troubles on a regular basis for the last 2,000 years. But in the days leading up to Christ's return, this is gonna become more widespread. I'm not saying this to scare you or to discourage you, but rather to sober you to the reality of what we may see happen in the future so that you can be prepared mentally, spiritually, and physically. We are called to be prepared. Now, let me give you some good news. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light and momentary troubles, tribulations, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What we may face in the future pales in comparison to what we will get to enjoy and experience for all eternity. 
So we look beyond whatever short-term pain we may face in the future to the long-term reward of an eternity with Jesus Christ. Now, there's so much more to say, but I'm running out of time here for today. And I'm gonna pick up from here next week and we're gonna study the words of Jesus as he tells us what sign we should be looking for as an indication of his return and the end of the age. But I want, to lead, I want you to leave here today knowing how to prepare for the return of Christ. Can I say the first thing you need to do is to grow closer to Christ. Grow in your relationship with Jesus. Get to know him. Study the Bible. Spend time in prayer. Begin now developing your community. If we are indeed the generation that sees the return of Christ, you will need friends and a community of believers to lean on. So begin to develop that now. Don't wait until the last minute. Put more effort into living a holy life. Don't be drawn into complacency and lukewarm living. Deal with the sin in your life. Garbage in, garbage out. Start eliminating those behaviors that just don't glorify God in your life. Just get rid of them. We need to live prepared for what we may face going forward. We need to wake up to the realities of what's happening around us. Paul said in his letter to the Thessalonians, chapter four, verse one. Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. Where have we heard that before? And they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. My friends, that is my prayer for you today, that you will be awake and sober, that you will pay attention to what's going on in the world around you and recognize the fact that the return of Jesus may be soon. The most important thing is for us to be ready. Are you ready? Ask yourself that question. Am I ready for the return of Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our heart breaks as we see the events of the world that are happening, wars, famines, natural destruction, earthquakes. Lord, we understand from the teaching of Jesus that these types of things are going to increase it gets closer to the day of the Lord's return. And God, it is our prayer. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We look forward to the return of Christ. We look forward to an eternity with Jesus. We look forward to there being an end to sin and sorrow and suffering and pain and war 
and, and, and everything that goes with it. But God, we realize that there is an epic battle that awaits, that the forces of good and evil are, are, are gearing up for a battle of the ages. And so God, may we be awake and sober to the reality of what's going on around us. May we be ready. God, I pray for each person who's in this room, each person joining us online and those who may hear this sermon someday in the future, that God, they would ask themselves the question, am I ready to meet Jesus? Am I ready? If he were to come back today, am I ready? God, I pray that before each person in this room or who hears this sermon puts their head on their pillow tonight, that they would make sure that they know the answer to that question, that they will have put their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ and that they would be followers of Jesus. So Father, thank you for your word. Give us understanding, God. This is a big, big topic and it can, it can be a bit confusing, but Lord, help us to have understanding. Help us to study the scriptures so that we may know the truth and uh, God, may you just uh, guide us in all knowledge and show us what you'd have us to know. Father, we do love you, we praise you, and we worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,